topic of our Atna Dhamma talk this evening is well one particular phase of intuitive knowledge or intuitive wisdom. And today's talk will show you the potential of the mind when we train it, when we undertake mental development. Now, to start with a Dhammapada verse, namely 113, and the verse in Pali says, Yocha vasasatam jiwe apasam udabiyam ekaham jivitam seyo Pasato Udiya Bian. The meaning of this verse in English is as follows better than a hundred years in the life of a person who does not perceive the arising and dissolving of the five aggregates is a day in the life of one who perceives the arising and dissolving of the five aggregates. Now, the five aggregates here refer to the entirety, the aggregate of bodily formations, physical formations, then the aggregate of feelings, then the aggregate of perceptions, then the aggregate of mental formations, and then finally the aggregate of consciousness. Now, what the verse is certainly saying that it certainly is of a higher value to experience just one day, one single day of seeing formations belonging to the five aggregates as arising and certainly passing away. So this is far better than a hundred years in the life of a person who does not perceive this, who does not experience or know this. Now, the Pali technical term here as given in the verse itself is and this term then can be broken down as follows. And this is based on explanations given in the Pali Text Society Pali English Dictionary. Namely, the word the word then consists of two parts, udia and bia, and then udia can be further broken down into ud and aya, and bia can be further broken down into bia and aya. Now, the Pali prefix ud has a meaning of out in an upward direction, out of, um, out of forth. And certainly one example for it, one usage would be in the word umujati, and here this means to rise up and out of possibly water or some other substance. Now, then the part aya has, can be traced back to the root e, which means satna to go. And satna, so then when we combine these satna two, it's to go in an upward, out and upward satna direction. Now, in the case of satna, the second larger compound, bia, is a form of the prefix V, which means asunder or denoting a certain disturbance, a certain separation or destruction, or it simply means down. And Satna then, Aya is Satna as Satna mentioned earlier on, namely a form from E to go. And so, 
and then to go down or to go asunder would be the meaning of the second larger compound. So when we then combine these parts, udea and satnabea, then it means certain things like increase and decrease, rise and fall, birth and death, up and down. And oftentimes these days, well, the expression arising and passing away is being used. Now, this particular phase of intuitive knowledge, of intuitive wisdom, in that arises in our meditation practice, then consists of two phases, namely a tender phase and a more matured phase or stage. And the tender phase is marked by the occurrence of quite a number of, actually, ten particular mental states, which are rather distinctive. And those mental states are namely illumination, obasa as satna number one, and satna then so various experiences connected with satna light, satna seeing, maybe a flash of satna light, or seeing, experiencing as if satna someone would be holding, experiencing light as if someone is satna shining a torch satna at one's satna face. And then, as the second distinctive element, we have knowledge, and usually it tends to be a rather keen knowledge. Then, part of this tender face is the arising of joy, beauty in the Pani scriptural language. And then, this is followed by the arising of calmness, basadi and pani, and then happiness. And now, based on the experience of joy, the experience of calmness and happiness, what do you think, which mental state is likely to arise? So you have all these wonderful experiences, and certainly with this, what happens? Concentration arises, yeah, that comes later. Attachment. Uh, attachment, uh, yes, attachment might arise. Yeah, actually, to, you know, one might uh, get uh, attached to any of these states. And uh, then what else? Well, that comes later. <laughs> well, you have all these uh, wonderful experiences coming up in your practice. And certainly then you know, the thought might cross your mind. Yes, Bill? What's that? Oh, one might certainly think that one might certainly mistake these experiences to be Nibbana. Indeed, this is one possibility. And disenchantment, that happens not right away. <laughs> that that comes only you know, with quite some experience. So, well, the point I'm trying to get at is uh, based on these wonderful experiences, you know, then one feels, wow, this practice is really great. And uh, you know, then it's really working you know, for me. And so with this, then, which, which mental fac factor arises? There you go, faith. And so it's logical, from a Vipassana point of view, it's kind of like a logical sequence. And so then, based on faith arising, you heard last night's talk, then what is likely to happen? With your faith arising and getting quite strong, then, Yes, effort is certainly likely to uh, arise. And as the Venerable Side Upandita likes to say, maybe there's a stronger desire to practice, and this then definitely will lead to 
as the texts say, you know, a determined uh, uh, effort. So you know, one is determined uh, you know, to you know, go ahead in one's practice and to apply oneself you know, wholeheartedly. Now, uh, then, um, you know, based on you know, this and some of you, know, you, quite a number of you, know, you have you know, experienced this particular aspect, you know, such as being able to miraculously, you know, being able to you know, sit for longer periods of time, and you know, then you know, maybe you know, even though the last sitting at nine o'clock is over, you, know, you have, some of you have decided to you know, well you know, sit a little bit longer. Or you know, early in the morning, you, know, you would wake up earlier than you know, the usual you know, time. You know, so before you know, wake up, and suddenly then you know, with the mind rather refreshed, and suddenly the body well you know, rested. So these are some of you know, the uh, manifestations of you know, effort. Now. In the presence of determined effort, our mindfulness then is likely to become quite strong. This in Nepali is known as upatana, and this then is followed by equanimity. And so, so when equanimity arises you know, for the first time in a you know, rather you know, distinct you know, manner, a meditator you know, then is certainly quite you know, or is not much you know, affected by you know, desirable as well as undesirable objects. Whatever comes up, it's fine. And so, so this then serves as an important lesson. And this also gives a meditator an idea what equanimity is all about. If you've never, never really experienced it, then how to know what this really means. So just hearing about it without a practical experience will not help a lot. Now, the last of uh, these certain qualities, number 10, is uh, attachment, nikanti and pani. And uh, this nikanti uh, then uh, kind of underlies all of the other experiences. So there's an easily an attachment uh, to uh, one or the other or all of uh, the uh, nine uh, mental factors mentioned. Now, as Sutna pointed out by Bill, there is a danger that one might then mistake these wonderful experiences to be already an attainment of Nibbana. And so, since Nibbana is about enlightenment, the word light is there, and illumination does arise, so various light experiences come up, and so then the mind concludes, oh, this must be it. And so, no, obviously, it's not certainly the case certainly yet. Now, um, the texts speak of three potential, um, well, difficulties or uh, uh, dangers, and certainly the first one being craving, namely, you've had one or the other of these experiences, and certainly then. The mind goes okay, or, or during the next sitting, the mind goes oh, this was you know previous sitting was so so calm, so peaceful. It would be nice if I could this if I could get this back, and so. Uh, so you know, this has the craving has to be recognized as certain as such, and certainly then labeled, observed, and certainly known. And certainly the second potential danger is certainly that of the arising of pride and conceit. And certainly one then thinks based on all these wonderful experiences that one is maybe the best meditator here in the group. And certainly this may or may not certainly be the case. Now, on occasion, you know, during you know, this certain uh, earlier you know, phase of uh, you know, seeing formations 
or, or face of meditation practice, a meditator might suddenly see formations as arising and suddenly passing away. Yet, the experience will still be quite well mixed with you know, those imperfections of insights. And certainly, so it's not a pure experience. Now, as for you know, the second phase, namely the mature phase of you know, intuitively you know, knowing you know, the you know, arising, the fast arising, passing of certain formations, well, this certain phase is freed of the disturbance through the ten imperfections of insight. And so at this point in one's practice, a meditator then sees certain formations as certain arising and certain passing. So the reason why you know, there is certainly uh, here you know, the differentiation you know, being made between a you know, tender phase and a mat more you know, matured or mature phase is you know, that the first one is certainly uh, still under you know, the influence of uh, you know, the ten imperfections, whereas in the second more mature you know, phase, you know, that's uh, you know, influence of uh, you know, the ten imperfections you know, then is no longer you know, there. Now, the Patisambhita Magga, the path of Fatna discrimination, defines this particular phase of our meditation practice in a very concise Satna manner, namely as the wisdom in contemplating the change of present phenomena. This is knowledge of contemplation of arising and passing away. So, you know, contemplating the changes of present phenomena. Please notice you know, the word present phenomena. So, if previously our meditation was mostly concerned with the three temporal modes, namely past, present, and future, now our attention is much more geared towards the very present moment. And so if you have an object arising and suddenly passing away within just, let's say, one second or even less than a second, then are you somewhat in the present moment or not? Much more so. And so much more than earlier on in the practice when you would see an object, let's say, arising and then uh, or, or let's say you would see an object arising and uh, then you would see it uh, lasting, changing from you know, someone and uh, then disappearing. And based on this experience, by inference, you know, then assuming that uh, the same you know, will you know, be the case in the future and again by inference assuming that the same you know, was uh, you know, valid in you know, the past. That format, namely, then formations arise, they last, they change, and so they then pass away. So here during this phase of fitness, seeing formations quickly arising and passing, one's attention is much more geared towards or focused on the presently, on present phenomenon. So what one sees and understands certainly with certainly this experience of certain formations arising and certain passing is certainly really their uh, impermanent nature. And certainly so you know, objects certainly not only arise, 
you know, or objects are seen as arising, you know, but then they're also seen as passing away. So if, uh, based on the arising of an object, one assumes that an object would last you know, forever, then this wrongful assumption you know, would be you know, dealt with you know, right away, and certainly it would be dispelled on you know, the spot. If one were you know, to hold you know, the you know, wrongful you know, view that all formations get annihilated, then um, what about this? They just come up. One sees, you know, just in the next uh, moment or you know, two, one sees you know, an object coming up. And so that then immediately you know, defeats this sort of wrongful you know, view that certain formations are to be annihilated. And so um, both of these certain wrong views, the eternity view, assuming that formations are permanent, eternal, as well as the annihilation you know, view, you know, get certainly clarified through this very you know, experience in our you know, meditation practice, and over and over and over again. Now, when one comes upon this particular face of intuitive knowledge or intuitive wisdom, then one will gain a deeper understanding about well, what is impermanent and the characteristic of impermanence, and then what is suffering and the characteristic of suffering, and what is not self and the characteristic of not self. So, the thing you know, that certainly is uh, impermanent suffering and not self are you know, your you know, formations of you know, the five you know, aggregates. All of you know, those, you know, without certainly any exception, are subject to you know, anicca, to dukkha, and certainly subject certainly to anatta. Now, the characteristic of Futna impermanence here is that these formations arise and pass away. Now, in the case of Futna dukkha, of suffering or unsatisfactoriness, its certain characteristic is that formations are being continually oppressed. And certainly they are continually oppressed by what? Who knows? By impermanence. Indeed, by the fact that formations arise and pass. And certainly, so this is the original definition of Fatna Dukkha. Now, as for you know, the characteristic of footnote not self, a meditator you know, then you know, will understand you know, that you know, formations are you know, not you know, within you know, our you know, power, and so, you know, that you know, they are not you know, necessarily under the influence of you know, our you know, will or you know, our wishes and you know, whims and certain you know, fancies. Now, it is said in praise of this particular face of intuitive knowledge in Dhammapada, verse 373. The meaning of you know, this is you know, the you know, the bhikkhu, the bhikkhuni, the late you know, meditator who goes into seclusion to meditate, whose mind is tranquil, who clearly perceives the Dhamma, experiences a joy you know, which transcends that of ordinary men and women. And so 
perceiving you know, the Dhamma is uh, in the sense of you know, experiencing the arising certain you know, falling of certain you know, formations and certain you know, with you know, this certain you know, then or prior you know, to this you know, there is certain you know, the experience of uh, you know, as we've seen of certain you know, joy of certain you know, calmness of certain you know, happiness and so on and so forth now the joy you know, the calmness and certainly you know, the happiness certainly you know, that arise in you know, the meditation practice do they arise owing to external stimulants you know, do they arise because certainly you know, we go you know, maybe you know, to a movie you know, you know, theater or you know, because certainly you know, we listen to some you know, rather calming music is this the case not not at all. Now, these are mental states that arise you know, from or from within our practice. And as Satna the Venerable Nyasadu Pandita Bhivamsa likes to point out, these certain um, the joy, the calmness and happiness, they are a form of happiness that is free. You know, from dangers that is not, neither dangerous nor you know, fatal. With the other form of happiness, hap- worldly happiness, which is based on the gratification of you know, the senses, so it's based on going to you know, the movies, you know, which is based on you know, maybe you know, going out for dinner and, you know, and having you know, a wonderful meal, or you know, whatever you can, you know, going you know, on a vacation, etc. You know, so, um, those sudniks, or you know, maybe you know, you know, drinking a glass of wine and then another one and another one, uh, and so on, and so, so those that kind of happiness, worldly happiness, you know, that is based on the gratification of the sense you know, pleasures, um, that is fraught uh, with certain dangers, and so. Uh, you know, dangers that one might certainly get addicted to you know, these experiences, and certainly uh, one uh, might uh, want to you know, uh, have more and more of uh, them, and they may you know, then also lead certain uh, to you know, certain unwholesome uh, actions. Now, when we observe you know, formations uh, um, with a mindfulness you know, that at first is certainly uh, still you know, somewhat certain uh, coarse, you know, then we might uh, experience an object like uh, the bending of uh, an, an arm or an object like uh, you know, the rising movement of the abdomen or falling movement of the abdomen, etc., as one continuous object, one continuous movement. And so upon further practice and deepening of our mindfulness, this then changes, and then we might make an interesting discovery, namely that the bending of the arm consists of what? Many movements. There you go. Many smaller bending movements, one after the other. And that and the end result we then call the bending of the arm. The same thing goes for the rising movement and the falling movement of the abdomen. So it may at first sight seem rather continuous, but then upon closer observation we as see that it's actually discontinuous. It consists of quite a varying number of segments. So the characteristic of impermanence then could be said to be concealed by continuity. And as for the characteristic of suffering or unsatisfactoriness, as we've seen already in an earlier Dhamma talk, in the earlier Dhamma talk on pain, is concealed by what? Mm-hmm. Pardon me? 
movement in which sense? Yes, that's it. That's correct. So it is owing to change. It's a change of posture in the face of pain that suddenly then conceals the universal characteristic of uh, uh, dukkha. And, so, and then in the case of uh, the characteristic of not-self, this is overcast by or concealed by compactness. Now, Formations at certain first seem rather compact, rather solid, but then later on, upon closer observation, we realize certainly that they are not. And so the texts, the commentaries, speak of several forms of compactness. And so the first one is. We've discussed this already, compactness as a continuity. This in Pali is known as santati, gana. Then, so what appears to be one continuous movement uh, is actually not. And then an object, or, or then we have compactness as a mass. So an object you know, may uh, appear to be a mass you know, when upon closer observation, you know, this is not necessarily you know, the case. And suddenly you know, then you know, we find you know, that the mass of, uh, let's say, hardness or so in, uh, in the knee is suddenly you know, breaking up into smaller you know, bits and pieces of you know, hardness. And then, and this is known as samuhagana, so compactness as a mass. Then we have compactness as a function, kichagana, in Nepali, which is somewhat more difficult to uh, understand. After a while of practice, a or as a meditator, one will understand that at certain points in the practice, a certain, a certain um, you know, development takes place, certain patterns you know, happen. And so one knows, for instance, at a certain point, anicca tends to be predominant, or at a different point, maybe dukkha is predominant, etc. And so based on this, then it seems like one can almost predict what is going to happen next. And so this then could be termed compactness as a function. So every phase in the meditation practice fulfills a certain clearly defined and almost predictable function. Then, however, there is the breaking up of that compactness as a function. And so this is kind of like hitting the chaos button on your computer. And so, so uh, if, you've, if you've had enough of your computer or you don't want anyone to have access to all the data on your computer, you hit this sudden chaos button. Apparently, uh, in, you know, in military circles, you know, this, uh, this happens on spy planes. Uh, have you ever heard of this? No? Not? <laughs> well, I've read about it. <laughs> I've read about it in the newspaper. <laughs> and so, when, when a certain, when, it, when the spy plane of a certain country was, that was flying over, you know, an enemy's, enemy territory, when the spy plane then was forced to land, its crew decided to disable all the computers on board because the crew didn't want all the information to end up in the wrong place. And so, so, and so in this connection, you know, there is something like, uh, well, you know, the uh, deletion button, and or chaos button, and so, so, 
In our meditation practice, on occasion, you know, the same thing that may happen, and suddenly then things that no no longer happen according to what suddenly we have come to predict. Now, the last certain compactness is as an object, aramnagana, in the Pali scriptural language. And certainly then, you know, this means that an object, whatever the object may be, seems rather compact, rather well-defined with nice certain borders. And even this is just an first appearance, and upon closer observation, we realize it's not necessarily so. An object sooner or later becomes somewhat maybe less well-defined. And certainly so, it is certain when we see through the compactness of the fourfold compactness that certainly then we realize or or we then uncover that's the aspect of non-self. And it is, you know, maybe to elaborate on this just a a little bit more. When we first meditate, then the self, see the self itself, the ego, uh, our sense of being, of being a man or a woman, this self, sense of a self, seems rather compact. Uh, Why should it be otherwise? And suddenly then, upon a closer observation of what is actually going on in the body and suddenly in the mind, then we gradually discover physical formations, we discover mental formations, and <coughs> sorry. And then, at times, we realize there are moments when there is no sense of the self. So just physical and mental formations. And if you like to... <coughs> At such a point, you know, the self is uh, uh, receiving a strong hit. And then, at later points in the practice, when we you know, see the formations you know, maybe as uh, being causally you know, related you know, to you know, another, you know, then again, you know, this is another you know, blow to the sense of self, because certainly we assume that we are in control of the show, you know, when uh, in fact, certainly now, you know, we see it's happening in a different way. And so it goes on uh, like uh, this in uh, over uh, over a longer uh, period of uh, time, and certainly uh, then mm, sooner or later uh, comes uh, the point uh, where uh, our uh, strong uh, belief in uh, the existence of itself uh, somewhat gets uh, shattered. Now, in the course of this particular phase of our intuitive knowledge or intuitive wisdom, we may also see formations in a more vibratory form. And more vibratory, more like dust particles. And with this, then the compactness of formations obviously lose their meaning. Now, during this certain particular phase in our meditation practice, we find quite a number of important certain qualities. Namely, the mind tends to be much faster. Its operational speed tends to be much faster than during the earlier days of practice. And 
we experience you know, this first of all as an, you know, a speeding up of you know, the physical and mental uh, objects you know, of you know, observation that you know, present you know, themselves. And so you know, the mind gets much more busy you know, having to handle all you know, those many you know, objects. And then you know, the amazing thing is that the mind itself, its operational speed you know, improves and you know, speeds up and you know, then you know, it manages you know, to you know, keep up with the flow of physical and mental formations uh, arising. Now, usually you know, what happens is that you know, during this phase, you know, the, um, well, the labeling and, or at least in some cases, you know, the labeling and you know, the, or you know, the uh, arising of an object and you know, then you know, paying attention to it, labeling it, you know, these two you know, happen you know, like, or, or, or happens in pairs. So an object arises and right away you know, the labeling and observing mind and knowing mind you know, is you know, there without any delay in time. Now, the Venerable Sadhupanita in this certain context likes to point out that during earlier stages or phases in our meditation practice, we had, the mind had to be very carefully aimed at the predominant object so that it then would, with the help of effort, travel to the object, reach the object, and then the mind would fall squarely on it and the knowledge would arise. Now, during the phase that we are you know, discussing you know, right now, you know, this is quite you know, different. So without making any major uh, effort in uh, aiming, the mind will automatically go in the right direction. And so, you know, so the Venerable Upandita likes to you know, compare this to target practice. So if you are um, a marksman or marksman, then you know, at first you need to train for a long time you know, until you know, or you know, up to the point where you, know, you where you can or you, know, you have to train for a long time to ensure you know, that you hit you know, the bull's eye of an object. Now, the more you uh, practice, the less time you need to aim. And eventually, you don't need the aiming anymore. The object comes up and uh, uh, then you, know, you fire the shot and it will land uh, right in the center of uh, the uh, target. So it's kind of uh, like uh, this. Now, uh, along the you know, or as illustrations for the uh, rather short you know, duration of you know, experiences, you know, the text you know, the Visuddhi Magga you know, comes up with you know, the following you know, you know, illustrations or the following points. Namely, it says formations are well like a line drawn on water. So if you try to draw a line on water with the help of a stick, will it last a very long time? Obviously not. And then the same thing when now, lightning you know, occurs, you know, this too, just by nature, is a very, very short experience. And so the you know, same thing happens you know, with our you know, formations you know, during you know, this phase of you know, the practice. Or uh, another you know, illustration given is certainly that of a bubble on water. So a bubble will form on the water and then very quickly it will pass away.
Now, one interesting part or aspect is that an object arises right away without the object first kind of getting ready to arise. So it just pops up. And then, as for the disappearing, this too will happen right away. And also very helpful to know is that usually during this phase in the practice, an object arises in one spot and then it will disappear in the same spot. And it will not, in the meantime, move around, go here and there and do all sorts of things, but it will disappear right away. So this particular point you could use as an indicator to then understand what is going on in your own practice. Now, as mentioned already, in a Dhamma talk at the beginning of the retreat, and if I'm not mistaken, the talk on phenomenology, objects at times may occur, or it may occur in an overlapping manner. So while one object is going on, another object already comes up. And so... Um, during this particular phase of our meditation practice, where intuitive wisdom is rather, rather keen and objects quickly arise and pass, we have a different arrangement in time, so objects occur in a linear fashion. So it is only after, let's say, an object arises and only after the, you know, this first object has disappeared that you know, the next object comes up. So there's no overlapping there. Now, during this certain particular phase of our wisdom, intuitive wisdom, what certain do you think? Is the um, well? It's not even worth worth asking the question. The the label, the labeling, and the observation of objects is happening without much difficulty. But it's worth making the point because earlier on in the practice we had to make much effort to really be with an object, make sure you know, that the mind is well aimed and you know, that it's you know, with the object in a concurrent manner you know, from its very beginning until its you know, very end. Now, during this phase of you know, our you know, practice, you know, the labeling tends the labeling plus the observation of the respective object tends to be without any major difficulty. And this, of course, is to the delight of the meditator. And so then one feels subjectively, finally, finally the practice, or finally I'm experiencing a phase in the meditation that feels like really good practice. Now, in terms of you know, the sitting posture, you know, what certainly do you think? Uh, what certainly would be you know, its certain characteristic curtain quality? By me? Upright. Yes, upright and uh, upright and rather stiff, and all tensed up. Not 
Yes, certainly is great. So meditators experience a sitting posture that is upright and certainly relaxed and also still. Now, during this phase in our meditation practice, also the wandering mind will not certainly represent any major difficulty. And certain wandering mind, if it occurs, then will be rather brief in nature, so it comes, it certainly goes. And certainly then, without much difficulty, if it arises, then we can be mindful of it, and certainly usually it certainly passes. Sometimes even without certain labeling the object. Now, when it comes to the duration of a sit, is there any any major change here? Is it easy or difficult to sit for an extended period of time? What do you think? It's much easier. Yes. Indeed. And certainly so, if early on one had a hard time to sit still for just an an hour, now, like Peter says, it gets easier and certainly easily one can sit for two hours or even three hours at a time. And certainly when getting up, sometimes there are not not even any major pains occurring. So that's rather, uh, rather um, intriguing. And now, in uh, the Burmese language, this particular um, phase of intuitive wisdom is known, and I think I've mentioned this before, namely as ku pie and ku pie. And ku stands for a ku, a ku means now, and pie means to arise. So now arising and ku pie, pie means disappearing, now disappearing. So. Um, now arising, now disappearing. And this happens from moment to moment, certainly to moment. Now, there's still one important point that is certainly necessary to highlight. Now, as you will know, there are three phases to one object, namely a beginning phase, a middle phase, and certainly the ending phase of it. And certainly, so among those three, a meditator's mind is mostly inclined to seeing the beginning phase and the ending phase, so the arising of an object and the ending of an object, the dissolution of the object. But what about the middle phase? Well, this is not really predominant. And so, since an object is not lasting very long in time, there isn't even much time for that certain middle period. So the middle phase of an object tends to be out of focus, certainly tends not to be uh, registered that much. Although, when one experiences, when one goes certainly through this particular phase of intuitive knowledge, then one may also come across certain experiences when, let's say, the beginning and the middle are more predominant. So there's a certain development, certain shifts that certainly take place. Now, on occasion, when 
coming or when experiencing this certain rather swift arising and certain passing of formations, it is certain worth to take a closer look at certain some predominant object. And so let's say there's a fine pricking sensation arising in the palm. And then upon first certain observation, it may seem as rather compact and continuous. Upon careful and certain close and continuous observation of it, one might then find that that same pricking sensation in the palm is quickly arising, passing, arising, passing, arising, and passing. So one might even see a series of pricks there. Now, there are, when one goes into this a little bit further, there are even there's a further refinement, further development here. So one might certainly see this certain pricking arising and passing in a fast and frequent manner. Then, at a maybe slightly later point in time, one might experience that same pricking sensation as certainly being rather unpleasant, painful, distinct, and uh, and then uh, arising and passing in a somewhat irregular manner. And then, again, at a different certain point in one's practice, one might experience certain the pricking as a fine, slow, and regular arising and passing pricking sensation. Now, when we um, experience this mature phase of uh, um, the fast arising and certain passing of uh, formations, then we have all these wonderful things happening, speeding up of our attention, and then objects are happening at a faster speed, and we can sit for a longer, longer period of time, and so on and so forth. With this, usually we feel rather discouraged with the practice, or rather strongly encouraged to go further. Hmm? Encouraged. encouraged. That's it. And so, during a retreat, it's during a shorter retreat, it's really important that certain meditators hopefully get up to this point or at least somewhere near it so that they can see the potential of the mind, the potential of the meditation practice. And then with a positive experience, they go home and then they will remember this and then there will be a strong desire to then go on a retreat again and pursue all of this further. Now, let me conclude today's talk by wishing. May indeed all of you perceive the fast arising and dissolving of the five khandas at least one day in your life and may it serve as an important station towards later phases in the practice and a later realization of the peace of Nibbana. And this is it for now. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org.
www.ghostbusters.org slash donate.